Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app. The offseason in the NBA has become much like a reality TV show. It's exciting. It's dramatic. Everybody expects great things to happen. But what do you do when you realize suddenly that while we might be absolutely obsessed with the stars in the show and we might be absolutely infatuated with the possibility of drama, what do you do if you realize suddenly all of us are reacting to actual information like it's fantasy basketball instead of the real NBA. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. I'm Jason Fitz, flying solo tonight. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And there's big news happening in the NBA every day right now. We all know this is all eyes have been infatuated on everything that could possibly happen for Kyrie. Is he going to opt in? Is he going to opt out? Where is he going to go? Will it be a sign-in trade? Is he going to take $30 million less? And suddenly we get the real answer. And the real answer is he's going to stay right, right where he is. Okay, well, now that we're done with that drama, what about Russ? What's Russell Westbrook going to do? Of course he's going to opt in. He's going to take all the cash he possibly can, and he's going to run it back with the Lakers. Well, okay, fine. We'll get drama from somebody. We'll get drama from John Wall. And John Wall will suddenly get himself in a buyout situation within minutes of being bought out. John Wall finds himself set to join the Clippers. And now, oh, woe is me. What does it mean? It means the Clippers are going to be incredible. No, they're not. Really? Like, why? Why are the Clippers going to be incredible? The real answer to that is because we need them to be. Because we're thirsty for something to talk about when it comes to the NBA. Because we've become so accustomed to the drama off the court being better than the drama on it that we over-infatuate to the offseason. But let's look at what we've seen the last few years. I think the drama on the court this year in the playoffs was exceptional. I think the final gave us a tremendous result. And now we're sitting here twiddling our thumbs a couple of days removed from the Larry OB being handed out. Now we're going to find something else big and dramatic. And why not the Clippers? Why not the Clippers? Like, that's something I feel like you could just start printing on T-shirts. Why not the Clippers? Because we've been saying it for years. When are we going to realize that we're wrong every single time? Man, I remember sitting on the morning show. Oh, Kawhi. Kawhi picked the Clippers over the Lakers, and all of a sudden, everybody's erupting. Oh, what does this mean for the brand of the Clippers? Clippers are going to take over L.A. short term, and this means that suddenly Kawhi's going to bring transcendent change to the Clippers and everything moving forward. And when things didn't necessarily gel right away, it was, don't worry, they'll be fine by the time they get into the bubble. They weren't. They'll be fine when they get a full season together. They weren't. How many times are we going to do this? In fact, George Sedano, who, by the way, not only a great dude, not only a great friend, but also a great NBA mind, couldn't have been more wrong on Candy and Carlin earlier today when he said this. They can be the team to beat, I think. When you talk about Kawhi Leonard, and from what I've heard in workouts, he looks amazing. Like He looks like the Kawhi we saw in a, in a uniform a couple of years ago. And you have Paul George coming back, right? We, Paul George has certainly been one of the better players in this sport for the better part of 10 years now. They never really got a chance to play with Norman Powell, who's like the perfect third option for a team like this. They want to have a ton of wings. They re-signed Robert Covington, who's one of the top three and D guys. Uh, they could potentially re-sign Nick Batum, who also plays a similar role like that. So 
and you add John Wall into the mix, you add Reggie Jackson into the mix. They've got everything you would want, and they've got one of the more elite coaches in the sport. I am out on every ounce of that. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, Jason Fitz flying solo. Think about what we just heard from George. Again, great NBA mind. Think about what we just heard. We heard every perfect scenario. You know the one friend that you've got. Everybody's got that friend in life that nothing ever goes right for them, but every time they sit down, they're telling, oh, man, no, things are about to turn around See, because they got this business opportunity, and I'm going to do this and that and this, and all of a sudden everything's going to align. And you look at it, and you're like, no, no, it never does, man. Never aligns. The concept that Kawhi Leonard looks great at workouts, I don't care. Uh, the the real of it is Kawhi Leonard's got to be healthy going into the, the playoffs for there to be any real chance for the Clippers to do anything. We haven't seen that. In fact, if we're going to talk about health, let's talk about the fact that Paul George hasn't been healthy for most of his entire career. So now we're going to make this presumption that this is suddenly the year that Kawhi and Paul George get healthy at the same time Wow, John Wall hits the fountain of youth and becomes this dramatic difference maker again. Nah, I'm not buying any of that. This is what we do in every sport when we get to the offseason. In fact, in a month, y'all are going to be doing it with the NFL and everybody's going to be in my menchies and I'm going to laugh at all of you. Benefit of the doubt is an interesting concept in sports. We give it to some teams, we don't to others. We give it to some teams as fans. We'll give our favorite team every ounce of benefit of the doubt possible, and then we will discard everything else. I'm a Raiders fan. You all know that. Everybody knows that, right? So I look at the Raiders and the Chargers in the conversation, and if I go to Raider Nation and tell them that I think the Chargers are a better team, oh, eye rolls. Well, why? Well, I mean, they got Khalil and J.C. Jackson. Look at the, the talent they added on the defensive side of the ball. Oh, who cares? Well, if those same players had been added to the Raiders, it'd be, why aren't you respecting my team enough? This is what we all do. How long are we going to give benefit of the doubt to the Clippers? And if we're going to give benefit of the doubt to the Clippers, will he give it to everybody else? Because keep in mind, if the whole conversation is, well, they just got to be healthy at the right time, cool. That's the same thing I could say about the Lakers. You know what? The Lakers just need to be healthy, and Russ needs to remember how to shoot, and they'll be just fine. Everybody's wrong on this. Jay Will talking about it on Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Max. This is what he said about the Clippers being the favorite. If they are able to remain healthy, I would give the Clippers a slight edge as the favorites in the Western Conference. I would. Favorites. The favorite. I mean, defensively, they would match up with Golden State in, in a very real way with their wing defenders, with Reggie Jackson, Norman Powell, with Kawhi Leonard, Paul George. I, they, they have all the pieces. Health is their biggest component. If everybody remains healthy, that's the biggest caveat with this team. They're going to be there when it counts, when it's all said and done. I mean, that's like saying uh, if the biggest weakness for insert team name here is fixed, they could be contenders. Well, of course, for every single team. But health isn't a factor you can coach. You either have it or you don't have it. Spain and Fitz has progressive insurance. We're presented by them. Progressive commercial insurance protects small businesses with affordable coverage options. Quote today. Get a quote today at progressivecommercial.com. Like when you start looking at the West next year, Golden State, obviously, is going to be a favorite to run it back. Vegas has already spoken on that. Memphis, I I don't know why we're sleeping on Memphis right now. Denver, Utah, you could go up and down the board and talk about health being factors for every single one of these teams that found themselves eliminated. And in the meantime, the Suns are sitting here saying, hey, last time I checked, we were dominant in the regular season. Yeah, playoffs didn't go our way. You have to make this gigantic leap 
to make the Clippers great. That gigantic leap is that, that they will do what they've never done before, never, and be healthy. And the other part of that leap is you got to presume that they're the only team in the NBA that manages that. Because if we're going to take health out of the equation for one, we got to take it out of the equation for all. And if I inject true serum in your veins, are you really going to take a healthy Clippers team over a healthy Warriors team? Over a healthy AD and LeBron? Over a healthy Suns team going all the way down to the line? Over a healthy Grizzlies team that doesn't lose John Morant in the playoffs? The answer to that is no. At some point, we got to stop pretending that this is fantasy basketball. We got to stop pretending we're playing 2K, and we got to start accepting some realities for certain teams. The Clippers never get it done, the Clippers never stay healthy. And until they prove otherwise on those two points, taking anybody but the Clippers is always the safest bet. We'll get back to the NBA, but coming up, the Browns back in the news. More updates on Deshaun Watson, what it means for Baker Mayfield, and why I think nobody is going to help the Browns out at all. I'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Presented by Progressive Insurance. I'm Jason Fitz flying solo tonight. I don't know how I feel about this. You know, I, I I asked Chris, board operator extraordinaire, to give us some music flair tonight, right? So what I specifically asked Chris to do uh, was to give us uh, 80s, I said either 80s hair rock or 90s R&B. And so Chris has, pick it, has, pick it, has picked Thunderstruck as the first song from this. And if you listened last week... You know, all of a sudden things went a little off the rails when it turned into Christmas music accidentally. But I don't know how I feel about Thunderstruck being the first song picked here because I'm pretty sure that it was originally released before or outside of that window. I'm trying to figure out was it was it 80s or no? It was 90. It was 90, Chris. You you're saved. All right. I thought it. Look, okay, Chris is saved. I was, I was going to throw him on the bus. Back here, Fitz. I got to be honest. Let's be you, also you, honest. I was born in 95. I'm taking just shots in the dark on when these things came out. That's that's fair, and uh, that's what I appreciate about you. You know what? I also appreciate your willingness to go out there and just find new stuff. Look, that that's that's a skill. Yeah, mix in it up a little itself. bit, you know. We'll, well, we'll say, see how Thor, we... Love, and Thunder coming up soon. Thunderstruck. We just got to go the synergy route here. All Disney, uh, all Disney stuff. Oh, that is fair. I it, look. By the way, go see uh, Lightyear right now in, in Company, theaters. Man. Not because I really care about the movie. I went and saw that yesterday. Fantastic. Well. Was it good? I did actually enjoy it. Yeah, it was. It was fun. And nothing, nothing earth shattering by any means. But it was fun. It was. I love Chris Evans. Anything Chris Evans is in, I'm pretty much willing to go see at this point. But it was fun. The the concept of seeing a Buzz Lightyear movie, like not the toy. It, it was definitely interesting. Right. I, I just need everybody to go see it because that helps Disney stock and that ultimately keeps me employed. Uh, so I uh, have a job, which is more than I can say right now for Baker Mayfield trying to figure out where he's going to work, right? Because he's not sure where he will be. And all of this takes on new layers every time we get updates on Deshaun Watson. Now, for anyone that hasn't been paying attention, Watson uh, had the first day of his uh, arbitration proceedings or his hearing proceedings, I should say, in front of the independent uh, counsel that's been uh, appointed as a joint venture between the NFL and the NFL Players Association to hear both sides of this and figure out what it would look like if there will be a suspension. There have been multiple reports out that the NFL is pushing for 
a suspension of at least a year. So indefinite with at least a year. And we haven't heard specifics, but uh, the concept has been that Deshaun Watson's camp is nowhere near that range. Now, Dan Graziano, ESPN NFL insider, said this on Jay- Keyshawn J. Will and Max this morning about what Goodell could likely do with any suspension if appealed. If the appeal went to Roger Goodell and he did anything other than uphold the, the discipline officer's ruling, and again, we're, we're down the hypothetical road here, right? This is the first time this process has been used. If, if Roger Goodell were to do something to supersede the uh, arbitrator's ruling, yeah, that, that could potentially lead to people calling the process a, a sham, and, and I don't think that's good for the league or, or for Roger. So my, my hunch is that in this hypothetical case, he would probably go ahead and support her decision. Uh, as Graziano points out there, as part of the new collective bargaining agreement, they changed the ability for Roger Goodell to be judge, jury, and executioner on all things. So this is a new process that has never been used before, and we don't know how it's going to play out. We know that today's hearings have ended and that hearings will result again, uh, will, will resume, I should say, again tomorrow. Where that will go, it could take several days before we get any actual information. But it raises interesting questions about what to do with Baker Mayfield, because obviously, if you're the Browns, you're sort of stuck in the middle ground. And Baker Mayfield was asked today if he could ever see himself playing for the Browns again, given the presumption that Deshaun Watson would be suspended for multiple games. This is what he said. I think it's uh, been pretty obvious the mutual decision on both sides is, is to move on. You know, I'm, I'm thankful for my four years in Cleveland. There's a lot of ups and downs and a ton of learning experiences that, uh, you know, I'll forever keep with me. You know, I teammates and friends and, and relationships that I'll have for a lifetime and you know just the support staff in Cleveland the people of Cleveland it's a great sports town so I'm thankful for it and that's there's no resentment towards the city of Cleveland by any means not by Baker Mayfield but there might be by the rest of the NFL hear me out think back to the reactions we got from league owners when Deshaun Watson was handed a historic concert, uh, contract we're not just talking about a little bit of money We're talking about a fully guaranteed contract, talking about $230 million. Now, what we've seen currently, what we are seeing right now, is that every single signing for every single player in the NFL leads to a trickle-down. We'll talk a little later in tonight's show about what a big contract in the NFL today for one wide receiver means for two potential holdouts. That's real every single time a contract is handed out. So now the rest of the NFL that's always trying to find ways, especially with quarterbacks, to justify the, well, this guy will take a pay cut a la Tom Brady to make sure that we have the best roster possible. Like, that's constantly the sales pitch, right? You lost that when Deshaun came out and got $230 million fully guaranteed. So now every other owner in the NFL looks around and says, what are you doing? You changed the way I can do business. You have changed the price points, the structure, You've changed the ability for me to come back and say, well, contracts just aren't fully guaranteed. That has all gone away because of the Browns and Deshaun Watson. Certainly, we have no idea what Lamar Jackson wants. We have no idea whatsoever. I was uh, hanging out with the guys in the morning last week, and we talked a little bit about that. We don't know. But I do know that if I'm an MVP, which Deshaun Watson isn't, and I'm a quarterback up for negotiation, if $230 million is what a non-MVP gets, I'm adding, what, 10%? Off the top, in fully guaranteed money because I've been an MVP? Seems fair to me, at least 10%. So now if I'm Lamar's people, or Lamar, because he doesn't really have people, instead of going into $230 million, I'm looking at 250 So now you want the rest of the league to step in and save you by helping you trade for Baker Mayfield? Not a chance. 
Baker Mayfield's going to have to hit the open market to be picked up by anybody in my mind because nobody in the NFL is interested in figuring out ways to help Cleveland win games. And alarmingly, this has nothing to do with the rest of the Deshaun Watson conversation. What have we learned throughout the course of the NFL? You can screw with owners in every possible possible way. But once you mess with their money, relationships change. Once you change the way contracts can be written, relationships change. Baker Mayfield's only $18 million this year. I say only because relative to most NFL contracts for quarterbacks, that's not a bad deal. You want to tell me that Baker Mayfield isn't a better option for the Seahawks, who, according to multiple reports, are interested. You want to tell me that Baker to the Seahawks doesn't make a ton of sense? Of course it does. But if we were just looking in a vacuum and this was just Baker, you don't think he'd be getting opportunity from somebody even for one year? Yeah. Now, I've heard Mike Tannenbaum and others talk about the fact that Baker Mayfield should want to come back to Cleveland because he knows the system. It gives him the best opportunity to build a body of work, and he has the opportunity to show people, hey, I'm better than you think I am, and then he can use that to get better leverage next year. That's cute. But that presumes that Baker wants to do anything and thinks that his image needs that rehab from Cleveland particularly. Feeling valuable, feeling wanted, feeling loved. Those are all things that you might laugh about when it comes to athletes because they play the sport you wish you could play. But it's what we all want in our jobs. I don't care what you do. I don't care where you work. I don't care if you work at ESPN. I don't care if you make widgets. I don't care if you work for a financial company. What do you want? You want money, yes. You want security, yes. But you also want to come in and feel like you have the right work environment where people actually give a damn about you. And when you don't have that day in and day out at work, you don't like going anymore. That's real for football players, too. It's the game we love. It's the business they deal with. And when you start talking about the business of football, why does Baker Mayfield want to be anywhere near the Browns when he knows that he can force himself to get somewhere else and have an opportunity to prove who he can be? If I'm Baker, I wouldn't be doing a damn thing to help out the Browns. And if I owned another NFL team, I wouldn't be doing anything to help them out either. Because at the end of the day, it's all about business. Speaking of business, coming up with the NBA free agency window right around the corner, we'll talk to an NBA guest that can help us break it all down. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. What do you do if you look around the landscape and you realize that your favorite team needs a bunch of help? But that help just isn't available. I'm still not convinced that's not going to be the case coming into this summer with NBA free agency. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and of course, SiriusXM Channel 80. I'm Jason Fitz flying solo tonight. Don't forget to tune in to the ESPN Daily Podcast. Get you a deep dive into a single story from one of ESPN's hundreds of reporters presented by Supercuts. Download, subscribe, and review ESPN Daily, available wherever you enjoy your podcast. Also, quick shameless plug for anybody that doesn't follow me on social media. The announcers now come out. I'll be back uh, for the hot dog eating contest on the 4th of July as the sideline reporter. So if you're sitting around on the 4th of July with your family, watch the hot dog eating contest just to see me try and figure out how people are managing to eat so many hot dogs in so little time. All right, let's get some expertise on what to expect this summer. Sean Powell joining us. You can check him out on NBA.com. Sean, really appreciate your time, man. Appreciate you joining us. When you look at this summer's free agency class, is there somebody to you that is an absolute sudden difference maker that makes a a franchise drastically better? Uh, No. (laughs) That's a short answer. 
That's a complete answer. This is not the summer of free agency. It's a summer of pretty good players. It's a summer of gap fillers. It's a summer of, well, we need, you know, uh, a backup point guard. This guy might suffice. Now, I mean, you know, if depending on the team, the money involved, the player, will some team sign someone who might make a little bit of a difference? Yeah, but they're not signing a Steph Curry. They're not signing a Kevin Durant. They're not signing one of a dozen players who are truly difference makers. Those players are not on the um, free agent market this summer. And uh, that's a lot of wishful thinking for anyone or any team to believe that there's someone out there who's going to put them in the finals and have them raise the championship trophy. Well, and that's why I'm trying to navigate sort of what to do in that market because I hear Knicks fans that are constantly telling me, hey, we want to make moves so we can improve. Jalen Brunson seems to be the hot rumor that everybody's putting to the Knicks. It makes sense for a million different reasons. How much better does it make a team like the Knicks to have somebody like Brunson? Well, look, I know the connection between the player and the coach, you know, and the player and assistant coach who happens to be his father, player and the, and the general manager and, and all that. You know, it, it's been well documented that he's connected with the Knicks. But if Jalen Brunson wants to win a championship, he stays put in Dallas. I mean, really, you're trading Luka Doncic for the Knicks? No offense to the Knicks. But Luka Doncic is a special player. Uh, and there's really no pressure on Jalen Brunson if he stays in Dallas. He goes to the Knicks, all of a sudden everything's outside. You know what that desperate New York desperate Knicks fan base wants a savior, and some of them might pencil him as a savior, and if he's not that type of player, remember, he played on a pretty good Dallas team. He had Luka around to handle the ball, no pressure and everything. Now all of a sudden you put him where – He's got the ball all the time. He's not playing with, you know, another great player. You know, maybe some of his words start to show, and maybe some of that frustration with the Knicks fan base comes out. Look, I'm not saying for him not to take that situation. If it presents itself, that's a lot of money. That's career changing, a chance to play for your father. I get all that. But I don't think he's going to, you know, make a major difference with the Knicks next year, not until the Knicks get him some better teammates. Uh, I agree with everything you just said, which means that I feel really smart and uh, we just need to keep hanging out. Sean Powell, sports writer for NBA.com, hanging out with us on Spain and Fitz. Jason Fitz flying solo. Uh, So the other portion of the conversation that I was having with everybody earlier has to do with the Clippers. A lot of benefit of the doubt, it feels like, being given to the Clippers and their ability to stay healthy. I don't know that I share that. So how high are you on a Clippers team that adds John Wall? Well, I was pretty high on them even before uh, John Wall came in a conversation. Of course, you know, it doesn't hurt having John Wall around. And by the way, uh, John Wall hasn't played a complete season in, what, about three or four years? Uh, He was pretty good when he did. He averaged like 20 points, almost 10 assists. And I believe he was either an all-star or just right on the edge of being an all-star that year. But uh, he hasn't played a complete season in a long time. So there's some question there about how much of an impact he's going to make. You could argue that. Hey, they're not going to ask too much from him. You know, you got Paul George, you got Kawhi Leonard, you got a pretty deep team. Reggie Jackson is uh, had some pretty good years with the Clippers the last couple of years, so they really they really don't need all that much from John Wall. So I think anything he gives them is a bonus. But I was high on the Clippers anyway. I mean, you, they come back, they're deep, and again, assuming good health, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard especially. They don't have as much wear and tear of the last uh, few years because, uh, and particularly in, in, in uh, Kawhi Leonard's case, 
just simply hasn't played that much. So you would like to think that they're going to be well-rested, they're going to be healthy, they're going to be, uh, you know, rested and healthy enough to go deep in the playoffs. And that's where Ski Ballmer thinks they belong. After all, um, he's spending a lot of money on this team. And if he spends any more money, he's going to go. He's going to go from a billionaire to a millionaire. <laughs> that's insane to think about the amount of money that you're right about everything that's being spent. I also though look at teams like Memphis, and you know we're not giving Memphis as much conversation right now because, frankly, they don't have as many stars that are household names. But it feels like the the gigantic leap they took last year going into the playoffs has to mean something, right? So what's Memphis's next step in your mind? Well, I want to. I want to be a little bit cautious about Memphis. Uh, one reason why they took a big leap last year, uh, Denver wasn't healthy. You know, you had uh, Jamal Murray out, Michael Porter Jr. out, Clippers weren't healthy. You know, you had Kawhi Leonard out. I wonder how that landscape would have looked if those teams were complete. Would Memphis take that big leap? I'm not saying they wouldn't. I'm just saying the landscape would have been a little bit different. But having said that, uh, I like John Morant, who doesn't. Exciting player, plays the game the right way. You know, he's got energy. Uh, he can carry a team, as he showed. And the team showed that they can play well without him. When he was hurt, they had a very impressive record. Um, but, you know, sometimes, you know, you do very well, and suddenly the expectations rise. And then teams, really, they basically want to play you hard the next time around. You can't catch them off guard anymore. You're the Memphis Grizzlies. You had the, uh, the second-best record in the West. You had a very spirited playoff run. John Morant was, you know, the most improved player, all that. All of a sudden, you're not catching teams by surprise anymore. Let's see how they play when they have a little, little bit of a pressure, and let's see how they play when they're not catching anyone by surprise. One of the teams that I thought coming into this year did have some pressure was Phoenix, and we saw a great regular season that didn't end in a title. Now I'm trying to figure out who DeAndre Ayton is for somebody else. In your mind, who, what difference can he make to a team? Well, I kind of like him as a player. He's a throwback. He's not going to go out there and stretch the floor, which I find kind of refreshing. I don't want my seven-footer out there standing around the perimeter. Why? Because when a seven-footer is out there standing on a perimeter, he goes from being seven-foot tall to six-foot-two. His side doesn't matter anymore. So I like the classic big man. I think the cla- there's room for a classic big man in this game if the coaches weren't a bunch of copycatters and feel that they can't play that way anymore because nobody else does, so we can't play that way anyway. No, 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 no. You can play that way. Joel Embiid seems to be doing pretty well, you know, for the Philadelphia 76ers. Not comparing Aiton to Embiid, but he has that mid-range, low-post presence about himself. I don't understand why it's not working in Phoenix. I would have given him the money to start up last season. Having said that, you know, I don't understand why his feelings are hurt. First of all, even if they gave him extension, contract extension, it wouldn't kick in until next, next season anyway. So what difference does it make? And then when he gets benched in the last game of the playoffs by Monty Williams, who, by the way, has a, you know, has a pretty long leash for, for, for players, when he gets pulled from the game, that to me is a danger sign. You know, that's not something that just happened overnight. That's probably something that had been building. So that's a little bit of a red flag with DeAndre Ayton, and that sort of thing has to get settled out between him and any team he might go to next or between him and the Phoenix Suns if he stays. You can read him on NBA.com. Sean Powell. Sean, really appreciate your insight and your expertise. Thanks for hanging out with me today. Hey, I appreciate you having me.
Uh, Sean doing great stuff. And again, I think the important thing, even with the Aiden conversation, is to remember that everybody we're talking about right now has a yeah, but. And that's not always the case in free agency. Sometimes you can walk into the offseason in the NBA and say, this is a, an offseason of rebirth, of reimagination for so many franchises. That's not this year's NBA. This year's NBA, we saw it in the draft. We'll see it in free agency. is going to be one that rewards patience and hopes like hell that somehow they can get the superstars healthy enough to play through their year in a way that makes meaningful basketball look different when we get to the playoffs. I'm not sure I believe that can happen, but that right now might be the only hope for most of these franchises. Spain and Fitz coming up. So much going on in the world of sports. We'll get you caught up on several stories the way only we can. Quickies coming up next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. You can tweet me at Jason Fitz. I've asked you guys a strange question on Twitter. I'll admit it's strange. I'll admit it. Today's the 25th anniversary of the bite fight. Mike Tyson taking a chomp out of uh, Holyfield's ear. So I've asked you, what's the weirdest thing you've ever eaten? We've got some crazy responses to that. I'll read some of those later, plus give you a story you didn't really want about the weirdest thing I've ever eaten, and we'll get the guys to chime in also. But in the meantime, there's a bunch going on around the sports world today, so I want to make sure we get in all of it the way only this show can. It is time for some Quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. And we start with a little bit of Wimbledon news. Serena Williams playing her first competitive singles match in 364 days. She gone. Lost early. 7-5-1-6-7-6 with the 10-7. Lost to Harmony Tan on Tuesday. Took more than three hours in a 10-point deciding set tiebreak. Her quote, today I gave all I could. You know, today she was dejected. Quote, maybe tomorrow I could have gave more. Maybe a week I could have gave more. But today was what I could do. These are the moments where Sarah and I said last week coming into Wimbledon how incredible it was just to see her one more time. And it's always interesting to me the line when you're trying to figure out what it's like to see an athlete get back on the court, on the grass, on the field, get to see them one more time versus the hate that we often give other athletes for playing past their prime. It's like there's something about knowing certain greatness in individual sport that allows us the patience to come in and simply appreciate it. Look, uh, was she the Serena that she used to be? Of course not. And she lost. But does that mean it wasn't magic to watch her back at Wimbledon? No. And it is interesting because, you know, when you think about the way we've reacted to guys like Tyson coming back out to fight again versus guys that we've seen in the NFL hold on too long. Like anytime a quarterback is playing and we've decided it's one second too long, we immediately go into, oh, he's not who he used to be. Now, sometimes it's not about who they used to be. It's about getting that one last opportunity to realize, hey, I'm watching one of the greatest of all time. Do what they do. And maybe it's not what it used to be, but it's still damn special. And it's still one of those memories that you hold with you forever simply because you got to see the best do the best, and it reminds you of how great they can be. Serena's impact is far bigger than anything that happened today. For me, it was cool just to see her out there one more time. Let's go to the next story. Quickies. Got a little boxing news for you, but really – NFL news is Le'Veon Bell has signed up to box AP in the ring. I don't know how I feel about this. It feels like a lot of guys are suddenly going to boxing. And I'm not sure how much sense it makes in my mind to suddenly gravitate towards boxing. But uh, Eric, producer extraordinaire. Uh, Eric, you're a big fight guy. You in on Le'Veon versus Adrian Peterson in the ring? 
I am in on it. I mean, I'm not very pretentious when it comes to things in general. Like in terms of movies, I'm not too picky. So when it comes to boxing or fights in general, I mean, I usually watch whatever. And as an NFL fan as well, I kind of like the crossover. And I know that from being a Jets fan, unfortunately, it didn't work out for Le'Veon Bell there. But I knew he was big into combat sports and like doing boxing type of stuff. So I'm, I'm interested at least to watch it. There are parts of this that make sense to me. The boxing element for training. I know a lot of athletes that use boxing as training. So, of course, when you're done playing and you realize, okay, well, I've already been doing this to keep myself in shape. Now let's do it against somebody. I think that's great. The only problem for me is there's like lost opportunity in a crossover. Because to me, what you've got to start doing if you're going to bring in casual fans is have it on a card with such a great main event that you bring casual fans in and you make them super fans. I'll go back to the music touring analogies, but like sometimes you want an act, an opening act to come in that's going to bring an audience to you that you've never, that you wouldn't get otherwise. So sometimes it makes sense to do sort of a little bit weirder pairing in a way that's like, hey, we've got this audience. Now let's do a great show. And same for the opening act. So often the reason that you want to be the opening act for Taylor Swift, even if you're not getting paid, is because Taylor Swift fans are going to get to watch you do your thing, right? So there's opportunity in crossover when it's calculated. However, at some point, if you just rely on circus show main events, circus show fights, if you have no substance behind it, I'm not sure it actually grows any sport long term. And that's, the I think, the lost opportunity for fights in general. Let's go to the next story. Quickies. We got a contract signing in the NFL that is going to impact everybody because when you start talking about money going out, we all knew that Terry McLaurin was going to get uh, paid. A uh, friend of the show, by the way, scary Terry McLaurin, is signing a three-year extension worth up to $71 million in new money, makes him one of the NFL's five highest-paid wide receivers. Now, I've often argued over the last year that wide receivers becoming devalued. I think there's so much production from wide receivers that you can get good ones in the draft. But if you have a great one, you pay them. At least you still pay them right now. But this raises so many questions because right now – there are two huge names that are unhappy with their contract situation. We've all heard about Debo Samuel out at San Francisco. He wants to get paid. But you've also got Metcalf, DK, wanting to get paid. And for DK, it's particularly precarious, so I wanted to use a big word, because he's got an uncertain quarterback situation. And with an uncertain quarterback situation, you got to know that it could make your job more difficult this year. And frankly, you always want to be up for your opportunity to get paid when you're coming off of big numbers. I don't care about context because realistically, you can turn around and say, hey, look at what I've been doing. I can't imagine if you're DK or you're Debo, you feel better today than you did yesterday about this contract situation because realistically, you're watching everybody else get paid. But conversely, from the other side of it, man. That's why you got to get it done early. If you've got somebody on your roster worth signing, sign them right now. Because if you don't, the price only goes up every single day. That's why I love the fact that Hunter Renfro and the Raiders came to a contract. Because when he comes up for negotiation, it's only going to cost you more the longer you wait. Unless you think that player is going to have a down year. And if you think that player is going to have a down year, then you don't believe in him in the first place. You shouldn't want to be getting your players at a value because a player at a value means that player didn't perform the way you expect. So the minute you know you got a superstar in the room, you take care of that superstar. It's important in my mind to make sure that you do that as soon as humanly possible because without that, you are always taking the risk that you won't get a guy signed. Speaking of signing, let's get to our next story. Quickies. 
And we get to a little Freddie Freeman news here. Now, Freddie Freeman has fired the reps that led his offseason contract talks. And this is interesting, particularly because, remember, he left the Braves, landed with the Dodgers. Uh, but then there was a little bit of a shock from everybody because he'd been around the Braves for so long. Uh, he fired the agency that repped him in the offseason. According to multiple sources, he was unhappy with the fact that he didn't come back, right? And then you saw the emotion that he had it had over the weekend. His quote, last weekend in Atlanta was a very emotional time for me and my family. I'm working through some issues with my longtime agents. My representation remains a fluid situation. I will update if needed. It's no longer fluid. He returned for the to the Dodgers over the weekend for the first time since or returned to the Atlanta, I should say, for the first time since signing with the Dodgers. You could see the emotion on him. And it's a reminder, as I said earlier, like at the end of the day, all of these athletes are the they're they're human beings, right? And what they want out of this opportunity is the chance to live the life that they want to play the game that they love. And some people get really attached to a city. I've never been that. I moved around so much as a kid, I don't really care where I work. But I've had a lot of people in my life that care desperately about it, right? You know, I I know so many people after years in Nashville. I know so many people that grew up in the country music industry that could never conceptualize living anywhere else. And you start thinking about what it means to play and the money that you're going to get. Representation isn't just about making sure that you get your client paid, especially in Major League Baseball, where frankly that can happen across the board. It's always about making sure that your client gets what they actually want for quality of life. And it became very apparent over the weekend that no matter what Freddie Freeman does in his career with the Dodgers, in his heart, he's still a brave. Breaks my heart for him, even though he's out there making astronomical money to play baseball, it's obvious that this move hurt his heart. And at some level, I wish there was a way they could work it out where he could get back to Atlanta because that obviously means everything, everything to him. All right, those are some quickies. Spain and Fitz, Jason Fitz flying solo, getting you caught up on all sorts of news. But we need to get you caught up on NBA free agency and why everybody talking about it has it absolutely wrong. I'll tell you next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. If you're my age or older, you probably remember a song, Video Killed the Radio Star. All about how we became so obsessed with music videos that actual radio stars seemed to just die off. What if you made the argument that video games and sport video games are killing the way we actually watch the actual sports as they're happening? Because it feels like the mindset in the NBA, and in the NFL frankly, has become so focused on immediate change that it's like a video game. And unfortunately, sometimes we need the reminder, they're not real. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. Look at that. That is great work by the team behind the scenes. I'm Jason Fitz flying solo. And, you know, when you think about this song, the significance of it was basically what they were saying and at the time was think about the way the music business was changing because there was a whole generation where the only way you were successful was if you were successful on the radio. And all of a sudden you wake up one day and you see artists maximizing video and all of a sudden it changes the way you conceptualize the whole thing, right? And so when you look at what's happening in the NBA, when you look at what's happening in the NFL, I make that comparison because sometimes we live in a world where we feel like we're playing Madden every day. We're playing 2K every day. You go out, you propose a trade, and it's going to go through somehow, some way. You're going to be able to get everybody you want, and you're going to be able to turn your team around right away. But that's not real. 
Sometimes you look around and say, hey, you know, I, like I grew up broke as a kid. I had nothing. We had nothing in my family for most of my life uh, growing up, most of my adolescent years at least. And uh, like one box of mac and cheese was what we ate for breakfast, lunch, and dinner combined uh, for several days uh, or for several years of my life. We didn't have anything. So you could look around and say, wow, I really want better food. It doesn't matter if you open the cupboards and there's nothing there. What do we do if you're an NBA fan, if you're a fan of a franchise, if you're absolutely in love with the concept of, oh my God, this is the team that rules my soul. And then you look around and you realize there's no way to get better. Not right now. You got to quote, trust the process. And I know that's a tough thing for people to hear, but realistically, that's the only way to do it. I said this before the NFL draft. As we were getting ready for the draft, I kept telling everybody, I don't care how much you need a quarterback, don't reach for one. Maybe one of my smartest takes, because if you look at the way the actual draft played out, teams didn't reach for quarterbacks, because there wasn't one there. That's going to raise an interesting uh, decision conundrum this year for NBA teams, as they try and figure out what to do moving forward in a world where suddenly you realize there isn't somebody that's going to make you drastically different. Knicks fans, I'm talking to you partially. Jalen Brunson is not going to make you the best team in the East. It's not even going to make you a top four team in the East. Jalen Brunson's going to make you a little better. The Mavs point guard, for anyone that doesn't know, that early in the preseason, or early in the postseason, I should say, uh, played very well. He, he looks like a very good player. And he's better. He makes the Knicks better. He's better than anybody they have on their roster at that spot. He's a good player. He's not a great player. He's not the epic go all in, oh my God, change everything for this guy player. But he's going to get paid like it. So that's what you have to do in the modern NBA. You have to pay for it. But you also then have to start taking your lumps. Didn't the Lakers essentially accept that they had to pay for Russ? What good did it do? Is he opted in today for his $47 million contract? Now what? Tim Bontemps, ESPN NBA reporter, said this on Keyshawn J. Will and Max about the Lakers and their options. It's a really tough spot because this was their get-out-of-jail-free card. Obviously, the Russell Westbrook trade did not work last year. And if they had been able to get Kyrie Irving in either some kind of trade with Westbrook or if he had had kind of taken the $6 million tax MLE and gone to the Lakers for that, it was their chance to get back in the real mix at the top of the Western Conference. To me, I look at them now as a team that if everything breaks right, maybe they can crack into the top five or six somewhere. If they try to take Westbrook in these picks and turn them into, you know, some role players or something to help them in the short term, it just is further diminishing their chances of doing something long term that can really improve this roster. So to me, I think they've just got to ride this year out. They got to ride this year out. Think about what we're talking about. I don't think that's just a Lakers message, y'all. I think that's an NBA message. You just got to ride this year out. Now, I'm not a doctor, simply never going to pretend to be one, but I think what we've seen over the last couple of the years in the NBA raises a real question about injuries, right? We've seen more and more star players go down. Look at the war of attrition, as we always say, and we've talked about it on this show, what an impact it made in the playoffs. I don't know if it's because of the break in the season, the year of the bubble, and then the quick turnaround to the next season and another quick turnaround. I don't know if that's it. But I think for most teams, about your only chance for finding irrational levels of hope for improvement works around health because there isn't another easy situation that makes you better. DeAndre Ayton is a good player. Yes, he's a good player. Is he suddenly going to take somebody and make them a championship team? No. And that's part of why Kyrie running it back made the most sense for Kyrie and it made the most sense for the Nets. 
at some point you got to look around and say, hey, if you're playing poker, these are the cards I have, and I am out of other options. So I either got to bluff and hope everybody else at the table folds, or I'm just done. That's where most of these teams are. Spain and Fitz is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive makes bundling easy and affordable. Get a multi-policy discount by combining your motorcycle, RV, boat, ATV, and more. All your protection in one place. Bundle and save at Progressive.com. If you're most of the NBA, if you're the Bucks, you're going to say we weren't healthy last year in the playoffs. That's all we need. We just need to get healthy and we'll be fine. Middleton's healthy. We're good. If you're the Nets, you're going to look at it and say, it was a wild year of dysfunction. We're going to be healthy. Everybody's going to get on the floor. It'll be just fine. If you go up and down, if you're if you're the Grizzlies, you're still looking at last year saying, man, how different would that playoff series have been with the Warriors if we had Ja? You can go up and down the list. Injuries affected almost everybody. The problem is, what do you do when you know that your team is either just outside the playoffs or in the bottom quadrant of what makes the playoffs? You've got a team that maybe is the fifth or sixth or seventh or eighth best team in their conference. Most years, what we want owners to do is go all in. Do whatever it takes. But the problem is, when we have the whatever it takes conversations, we forget that there's two sides to all of it. Sure, maybe the Knicks wanted Jaden Ivey. That doesn't mean that the Pistons were willing to part with him for anything. Anything. You can want all day a great player that's going to turn your fortunes around. You can't create one in the open market. And you can't even in today's NBA simply magically create a trade. None of it is that simple. And until we remember that, and until we remember that long-term, there's only one way to fix your team, and that's slowly but surely, man, until we think about that, we're going to have the wrong approach on all of this. We have to acknowledge at some point that our favorite sports teams are obese. And when you're obese, you didn't wake up overnight obese. And you're not going to fix it overnight. It's going to take you a long time. You're going to have to take a lot of small steps And every one of those small steps, you're going to have to find victory in. Because for 99% of us, worst to first isn't real and doesn't work. So now for the rest of us, you got to understand that this is a patient process of rebuilding your team. And this year's offseason, as much as we're going to yell and scream about a couple of stars, doesn't provide anybody the opportunity to magically turn it around. That being said, Kyrie's move to opt in creates a tremendous amount of pressure for the Nets. We'll break it down for you next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. This NBA offseason might be poison. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Jason Fitz flying solo. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. God, I love Bell Bibdevoe. I'm not going to lie about that. I don't love the NBA offseason that we're about to see. You know, and, and at some point, there is this, do you spend to spend? Do you get yourself a little better to get yourself a little better? Or do you wait until you have the opportunity to go all in? Do you wait and strike? Now, that being said, one team that we know doesn't have to make that decision is the Nets. Because Kyrie is all in, and that means the Nets can be all in on Kyrie. Kyrie's coming back, and now we can refocus our Nets conversation to pressure. Because there's this real amount of pressure in this situation. I, I equate everything to food because I was a fat kid growing up. But, like, you think about Thanksgiving. 
And, you know, I don't know if anybody's ever gone through this in life, but the first time you make Thanksgiving dinner for your family, like, it's really pressure-filled, especially, like, my mom and dad both uh, were amazing cooks growing up. And so, like, very, very pressure-filled, right? Like, so the first time you're making Thanksgiving dinner, you don't want to screw it up. So what do you do when you screwed up the turkey and you screwed up the mashed potatoes and you realize that this whole meal has gone straight to hell? And now you realize, okay, I got no way to salvage it. The one thing you can hold on to is dessert. The last course. For the Nets, we expected it to be a perfect turkey. We expected all of this sort of championship run. A real conversation about whether or not the Nets could dominate New York with this star power and multiple championships. And instead, we've got KD being KD and super sensitive and, you know, really chiming in on everybody on social media, which is fine. You have Harden out the door, Ben Simmons in to do what? All right. And now you have Kyrie, who hasn't been available and will be available. Man, this is it. This is your dessert. If your pie's overdone, you're, you're, you're cooked. You're over. This is the only chance the Nets will have to prevent themselves from being in the conversation as being the most disappointing franchise in sports history. I don't mean NBA history. I mean sports history. When you start thinking about what we thought this could mean for the brand of the Nets versus where they are, this is definitely already one of the most disappointing eras we've seen from expected dominance. So the question is, now what? Chris Canny, you can usually check him out on Canny and Carlin, was on Greeny, and he talked about Kyrie and why he thinks he's all in. It's the $200 million that would be at stake for Kyrie summer of 2023 on a max contract. I mean, it was obvious that that's what he wanted from the Brooklyn Nets. He wanted that four or five year deal on top of what he already had with his player option of $37 million this season. And the Nets gave him the opportunity to shop himself around and see if there was a sign and trade that would offer him that kind of money elsewhere or one of his preferred destinations. And the reality is that nobody is going to give Kyrie that after the three years that we saw in Brooklyn and him missing significant time in all three of those seasons for different reasons. And so for Kyrie to get max money, he's going to have to prove that he's a committed basketball player and that he's going to be reliable for whatever team is willing to give him that kind of contract. And he's fully capable of doing that. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, Jason Fitz, Fine Solo. You start thinking about Kyrie on the court, like, let's compartmentalize conversations. We have to do that as we talk about Deshaun Watson. Much different situation around the two. I understand that. But at some point, there's a conversation about Deshaun Watson off the field and Deshaun Watson on the field. There's a conversation about Kyrie off the court and everything that comes with it, and then Kyrie on the court. We all agree that Kyrie on the court is incredible. That's part of why I disagreed with Alan Hahn last week about whether or not Kyrie had any leverage. When you play as well as he plays, you got leverage. Figure it out. And maybe Canty is right, that he'll be all in because at the end of the day, being all in helps his money. Kyrie's a hell of a businessman. I would argue he's almost as good a businessman as he is basketball player. He's gotten his way at every single turn. He's done what he wants to do, when he wants to do, how he wants to do it. He's told teams he's willing to play for. He's told teams that he insists on being traded. He's always gotten it. And he's gotten paid at every turn. Like, we have this conversation all the time about, you know, for people that are anti-Kardashians. They're like, oh, the Kardashians are a bunch of idiots. They have no talent. I don't know. If you have no talent and you can make a billion dollars doing it, that in and of itself is a talent. I'm sorry. So if you're Kyrie and you can come out and be a pain in the ass, you can be somebody that is, is difficult to deal with at every turn. You can be somebody that says some of the stupidest things we've ever heard in our lives. 
and still get paid at every turn? Man, you got a gift. So maybe Candy's right. But through all of it, it's not going to be just about performance. It's going to be about winning. The NBA only values championships. No matter how good he is, if he goes in and plays lights out and the Nets don't win a championship, this will be a wasted era. And that's why they're under so much pressure. Don't believe me. Believe Jay Will. Jay Williams was on Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Max and said this about the Nets. All the drama that was circulating around this team last year, how Steve Nash, you know, a guy who has no head coaching experience, is handling this, not having a full or a complete roster for most of his tenure, short tenure with the Nets, to the Ben Simmons drama that came along with them getting him from Philadelphia in the James Harden trade in which, I mean, Houston has – all the Nets picks until 2027. I mean, I, that's a whole other conversation that started to Kevin Durant watching Golden State winning a world championship, their fourth, to the Kyrie Irving situation, watching Boston get to a world championship, and then everything with the pandemic, and he's on a one-year uh, pretty much deal until he hits free agency. Yeah, you tell me what other team in all sports has more pressure on them than, than, than the Brooklyn Nets. Individual pressure for so many different superstars, as Jay Will just pointed out. The individual pressure that's on Kyrie. The individual pressure that's on Ben Simmons. The individual pressure that's on Kevin Durant. When you take all of that individual pressure and you turn it into Voltron, what do you have? I, I, I always use this Voltron analogy, but it's important in my mind for everybody to remember the way sports teams are built, right? And so, you know, Transformers were all individual robots. They could do whatever they want. Voltron was powerful when they came together as one big robot. Well, what do you do when three, the three guys you're depending on coming into the season all have astronomical amounts of pressure that will change not only the legacy of your franchise, but also each of their individual legacies? Let's be real. If Ben Simmons doesn't get back on the court, everybody's going to be even more done, and that's only going to get louder for somebody that's been very vocal about the mental aspect of the game himself. Like, this is make or break. This is it for Ben Simmons. If you're Kyrie, you've said and done so many distracting things. The second you are not amazing, you're not worth a hassle. And for KD, damn, you just watched everybody win a championship without you. You just watched a celebration of guys that were celebrating in part because they felt like their legacy could be improved because you weren't there. You can't tell me that doesn't make some impact. And you can't tell me that doesn't create pressure. Now, pressure, as we all know, and what is the adage? I don't know exactly. If Sarah were here, she would know. But, like, pressure creates diamonds, right? So maybe pressure is the cooker that everybody needs to get in, in into one, get on one page and put themselves in a situation where they can come out and dominate. I would love to think, because I, I, I love individual success, I would love to think the pressure creates that. Pressure also creates the opportunity for everybody to blame everybody else. Pressure also creates the opportunity for everybody to fold. Pressure also creates the opportunity for everybody to start pointing fingers. When you think about what is expected of the Nets this year, and you could argue that there's a ton of pressure on Phoenix. You could argue that there's a ton of pressure... On Memphis to continue their rise. On Denver to do something with the two-time MVP, right? You could look across the board. Is there pressure on Philadelphia to finally give something for Embiid, right? Pressure all the way across the board. Man, I don't know that we've seen anything ever in sports like we're going to see from the Nets. Because it wasn't just about the individuals. 
It was about the brand, the franchise, and forever changing the way that we view Brooklyn. The road to the rematch, by the way, is on as bantamweight shape Juliana Pena, former champ Amanda Nunez, go head-to-head as coaches on the historic 30th season of The Ultimate Fighter. Stream the series now exclusively on ESPN+. Sign up now at ESPNplus.com. You know how you know there's a lot of pressure on the Nets? We don't even talk about the Clippers having pressure. I mean, for as much as I said earlier, I'm out on the Clippers, let's remind ourselves that everybody was in for a long time. If it weren't for the Nets, we'd be talking pressure with the Lakers and the Clippers ad nauseum. But we can all realize that no matter how much pressure they have, the Nets have more. All right, we'll get back to the NBA, but uh, Deshaun Watson's disciplinary hearing started today. What were the biggest takeaways? We'll ask an expert next on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Jason Fitz flying solo tonight. Sarah Spain getting a much-deserved uh, night off, especially coming off of winning around the horn today yet again. So uh, in the tag team of life, she is Shawn Michaels. I am Marty Jannetty. But uh, that is what makes us great. She's the champion, and there is no doubt about it. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And when it comes down to certain things, when it, especially when you're talking about Cleveland and the Browns, I'm not sure there are many people better than covering it all than Mary Kay Cabot. So we're going to talk to her now uh, about everything going on with Deshaun. Mary Kay, always appreciate your time and your expertise. So let's start with the disciplinary hearing today. We know that the hearing is over for the day and will resume tomorrow. What kind of expectations were there from anybody on how long this would take? Well, I think everyone thought it would at least take uh, through Wednesday, but I'm now hearing that it could go through Thursday uh, because it just seems like they still have a lot of ground to cover and they probably didn't get as far as they hoped they would today. Uh, so conceivably, it could go through Thursday evening and then uh, sometime shortly after that, Sue L. Robinson, uh, she might want to have uh, briefs filed by both sides. That could happen next. Um, and then, then she will make her decision on the initial punishment for Deshaun Watson, and then there are steps that could happen after that. Well, and this is where things get interesting for anyone that doesn't know. This was a change in the collective bargaining agreement that allows this process to be done this way. But this is the first time on this process. So how how is the feeling out process for everybody in trying to, to figure out the best way to do this? Well, these are all, you know, professionals. They're all lawyers. They're all uh, people that have been in, in courtrooms before and prosecutors. So they're not having any trouble figuring out how to work through this. Basically, uh, there's just a middleman now. Instead of everything going straight to Roger Goodell, uh, Sue L. Robinson, jointly appointed by the NFL and NFLPA, is the the middleman or the middle person, so to speak. And, uh, you know, it's up to her in the beginning. But it can still end up in Roger Goodell's hands upon appeal. Either side can appeal. NFL can appeal. NFLPA can appeal. And we know uh, that they are going for the one-year minimum indefinite ban, indefinite suspension. And uh, that's what the NFL has basically insisted upon. And they're not budging on that at all. And the NFLPA is obviously arguing for a lot less than that, perhaps even no suspension at all. So they're far apart on, on what the two sides are arguing. And uh, Sue L. Robinson is going to have to make some sense of it all. What do the Browns do through this entire process? 
Well, the Browns are, are kept apprised of everything. They're, you know, they're on top of everything. They know exactly what's going on. They're not at the hearings, but uh, to my knowledge. But, you know, Deshaun is there, obviously, represented by his lawyer, Rusty Harden, and then the NFLPA retained their heavy hitter, Jeffrey Kessler, for this. So, they're, you know, they brought in the big guns to fight for Deshaun. Uh, they really are coming down hard on the uh, on the aspect of the fact that NFL owners haven't been penalized for for this sort of thing in the way that they feel that you know that they should have been. So um, so it's it's kind of a mess right now. And in the end, if the NFL gets what it wants, Deshaun Watson will not be on the football field this season. You mentioned that there could be briefs afterwards. We're talking, by the way, to Mary Kay Cabot. You can check her out on Cleveland dot com on Spain and Fitz, uh, Jason Fitz flying solo. Uh, briefs, appeals, I mean, this this process is not a short one. So even if we feel like this hearing ends in the next couple of days, is there an expectation for a timeline on a final decision? Well, everybody wants it to be done by July 27th, and I, which is the start of training camp. I don't think anybody really thought it would go that long, but this is very, very complicated. The NFLPA is fighting this hard. Again, as I mentioned, they brought in their big gun to fight it, and uh, – you know, and the the NFL is not budging on one year. That is what they want. I mean, remember, they suspended Calvin Ridley for, you know, the Falcons receiver for a year for, for gambling while he was out. So, um, so I think they would probably have a hard time trying to sell a six or eight game suspension for Deshaun Watson. But the NFLPA is, is arguing hard that, there is no evidence, even though the NFL strongly disagrees. The NFLPA is saying, look, there's no evidence. These are he said, she said incidents. They're all represented by the same lawyer. Um, conversely, the NFL uh, has presented the cases of five women who they think have uh, the strongest, most compelling evidence and cases and arguments. And uh, it, it's a battle in there. Does the uh, decision to settle on these lawsuits impact these hearings in any way? No, I, I really don't think that, that it has. The NFL said it wouldn't, and to this point, it, it really hasn't. They've done their own investigation. They talked to at least 11 of the accusers. They talked to Deshaun Watson for four days on two separate occasions, and, uh, and they feel like they have what they need. They contend that there is a disturbing pattern of behavior, and, of course, the NFL is arguing that uh, that these accusers were, you know, probably, you know, out for something, you know, for money or whatever the case that the NFLPA is arguing. They, uh, you know, they are going really, really hard at that angle. And, um, and you know, it, it's going to be a little while before they get to the end. Does any of this have any impact in the way the Browns are trying to handle Baker Mayfield at this point? You know what? <laughs> to a certain extent, I guess, but... I really don't think so. I think, just as Baker Mayfield said today at his football camp in Oklahoma, I really do think that there's a mutual parting of the ways here. Neither of those two parties wants to be back together. Too much bad blood, too much water under the bridge. The bridges have been burned. All of those cliches that you could possibly come up with. Ship has sailed, you name it. Uh, I just don't see Baker Mayfield taking another snap for the Cleveland Browns. If that happens, they have gotten very desperate. Even if they had the choice between Jacoby Brissett and Baker Mayfield, for many reasons they would go with Jacoby Brissett over Baker Mayfield, including 
distraction and loyalties and allegiances and things like that. I just don't see that happening. Mary Kay, I always appreciate your time. Always appreciate your knowledge. Thanks so much for hanging out with me. Sure. Thanks for having me. Reader on Cleveland.com, Mary Kay Cabot, doing a great job covering the Browns. And look, none of this is going to be an easy situation, but I think she makes a huge point when it comes to Calvin Ridley and last year's suspension for gambling while he was out. I mean, if you're the NFL right now, you need to continue to send some sort of a message or you want to continue to send sort of a message of the way you're going to be handling these things. And what kind of message does it say if you come in and allow this to be a six-game suspension, an eight-game suspension? I mean, that that is going to be such a different world. But one thing that every single football fan needs to realize first and foremost is that for the first time, this is not just Roger Goodell's decision. The fact that a jointly agreed upon independent arbitrator is looking at all of this information has got to be a sigh of relief for everybody. If you are a Cleveland fan and you want to sit there and say that the league is biased against you, which I don't believe at all, but if that's the take you want to have, well, this circumvents that. And if you're the league, you want to avoid any sort of perception that you're being soft on anybody, you can come in and say, this is what we want. You can do it loud and proud, which I feel like the league is doing right now. Notice one thing that Mary Kay said, I think we need to remember, the league is not being shy about the fact that they want at least, they want an indefinite suspension that lasts at least one year. Now, while there have been some reports that the NFLPA may be arguing for as little as no suspension, we don't have the same concrete leaks. The league is being clear to the world of what they want because they want everyone to realize that they're coming down on this, especially in modern times, especially with everything that the league is dealing with today with the perception about the way that they handle or value women. I mean, there's got to be a point where the league is making sure that their want is known because it helps protect their brand. In the meantime, the NFLPA has the job of protecting their players. And I happen to uh, I have a friend that played Major League Baseball, and uh, he always talked about the hardest part about the Players Association was that they had to defend every single player, even if you knew they were in the wrong. That's their job. I don't know if the Players Association believes the arguments they're making or if they're just doing the best for their client, which is, at the end of the day, their job. I just know it's an unenviable position. And every single day, we're going to be looking for more information. What's happening? The ability for all of this to stay behind closed doors? I don't trust it. Over time, I think we're going to find out exactly what the NFL is presenting, exactly how they presented it, because the NFL wants to be clear that they're being aggressive in this punishment process. That way, no matter what happens at the end of it all, there's no egg on their face. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Coming up, a, a drastic change in the mindset around one city in America, and Major League Baseball has proven it with the new story. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Jason Fitz flying solo. The perception on one city in America has changed drastically, and it's a city I love, so you know I'm biased when I talk about it. We'll talk about that in just a second, but it is the 25th anniversary of the bite fight. Uh, Mike Tyson uh, taking a little chomp, chomp, chomp out of uh, Holyfield's ear. I can't believe yeah, that I, I'm borderline disrespectful at this point on it, but I asked you guys on Twitter, at Jason Fitz, to chime in and tell me you know, what the grossest thing is 
that you've ever eaten? What's the weirdest thing you've ever eaten? And uh, Kevin Winter, our very own Kevin Winter, uh, responded by adding Will Kane and saying, what's the thing that I ate after losing the Pats Cowboys bet to you? Uh, gefilte fish. Uh, not not particularly appetizing. Uh, Jim said vending milk, vending machine milk that was unknowingly about six months past its sell-by date. I've never eaten chunky warm milk before or since. I like that you went uh, chunky milk since. Like, that's good. You've learned from that. Uh, Anish Shroff, our buddy, uh, you know, quickly, uh, quickly chimed in uh, with at Duke's Mayo Bowl because we all remember Oreos being dipped in mayonnaise, which Mike Golick Jr. continues to tell me that uh, was actually pretty good. Uh, I don't know. I think I have an issue with that. Gail said boiled tongue. Like, we're getting a lot of weird things out here. Tom said peanut butter sandwich with black licorice mints. I love black licorice, Tom. I'm not going to lie, but I don't know why with peanut butter. That sounds weird. I got a rattlesnake vote vote here, and uh, that's you know it, it goes through. Although somebody said firecracker fragments, don't ask. I'm not going to ask, but I will tell you uh, the weirdest thing I ever ate came. Uh, there, there's two things, and it came in the same night in Kumamoto, Japan. I was playing with the Country Act, and we were playing this big country music festival. I'm not even kidding. In Kumamoto, hashtag humble brag. Yeah, I know. I'm mean, a thousand percent. So, like, and we were playing this festival. I'll never forget when we came out and played, like, it was in this theater, and everybody was wearing, like, the little bolo ties and everything, and, like, everybody was sitting so quietly and politely clapping, and, like, the, the stagehands didn't speak any English. It was, it was a wild, wild time. But I walked into this restaurant, and we had, like, a person with us from the embassy that helped translate, and so I, we were walking into a sushi restaurant, and so I knew I wanted sushi because I eat a lot of sushi. And so... The uh, sushi chef pointed at the aquarium behind him, so I, I, I just pointed at a fish. I was like, yeah, that's what I want. He took the fish out of the aquarium immediately in, like, one move, whack, poof, and then all of a sudden, like, went da 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 and, like, just took the fish apart in front of all of us and then put, like, a little stick through the, the carcass, which was still sort of, like, wiggling, and laid the sushi in it and handed it to me, which is the freshest sushi I've ever had, but not the weirdest thing I've ever eaten because then I asked the embassy person there, you know, what's this area known for? What, what do you eat in Kumamoto, Japan? And her response was raw horse. So I, uh, I, she made some horse there, uh, you know, little, little thin strips of, uh, tasted just like beef, but, uh, that's what everybody ate. So I thought I'd try it in Australia when we were on tour again, humble brag. Uh, I played with kangaroos at a place one day where you were like, like it was a safe space for kangaroos, koalas, the coolest thing ever. And then the next day we were in Sydney and I was like, what does everybody eat? And they were like, kangaroo burger. So I, I ate a kangaroo the day after I played one, didn't feel good about that. Um, but yeah, Ger Germany uh, had reindeer in Germany. So now we know what happens to the ones that don't make Santa's list. Uh, guys, any, anything, uh, anything weird back there? Eric, have you ever had any like particularly strange food? Um, I can't pinpoint the exact uh, concoction, but I know when I was like in elementary school, I was dared to eat some wild stuff, and I did. Okay, okay, that's a that's a weirdly vague answer, but we'll go with it. Chris, uh, Chris always has a weird story. Chris, anything on a uh, weird food? I don't know that I like that. That's what I'm associated with. <laughs> I'll be completely honest. I can say we could throw out being sponsored by PETA out the window. Thanks for that, Fitz. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Uh, I love animals. Uh, I just happen to also eat a lot of them. I, I don't know. There's like a, a fine line for me. You guys can keep tweeting me, though. It's a it's a fun little way to remember a moment I think all of us remember. Uh, you know, if you were watching it, you'll never forget it for sure. Uh, in the meantime, there was big news in Major League Baseball that impacts a city that I love. Uh, you know, Vegas is where I was born. 
Uh, Vegas is where I lived as a young kid. I still have family in Vegas, and it's my favorite place in the world to go to. Uh, and that being said, I'll admit my bias coming into it. With that acknowledgement, Major League Baseball has announced they would waive any relocation fee should the A's move to Vegas. This is important because the negotiations that have been going on for Oakland with the A's have been you know, on and off and uh, very contentious, and they're trying to get a big group, of, a big area of land where they can build sort of a whole thing, right? And I understand that. Uh, at the same time, they have been, not been quiet about coming to Vegas as often as possible to look at stadium options, not the least of which would be a domed stadium built on the strip attached to a new casino. So you could essentially walk off the casino floor and directly into the stadium without ever going outside. It all reminds me how much the perception on Vegas has changed. Now, it's not a huge media market town. It's a lot like Nashville in that sense. It's a popular city, but it's not a huge populous city. So all of a sudden, it's not like you're talking about an L.A. or a New York when it comes to media market size. But you are talking about the ability to continually grow. Now, Vegas right now has a minor league baseball team, but if the A's choose to move there, they will suddenly find themselves within a five-year period getting an NFL team, an NHL team. All eyes and speculation is that they will be granted an NBA expansion team. Hell, they'll be hosting the summer league this summer that everybody watches at nauseum. And you add to that the opportunity for baseball. All four sports will be represented, which tells you the huge change in the way we treat gambling. I think you can see that when you think about your friends, right? How many times did your friends that were betting on games, they had like a weird shady dude they were doing with it? Now, most places have an app in most states where you can just go place the bets that you want to place. And Think about the way we treat gambling at our network. It used to be something that we barely ever talked about. Now there's shows every day, all day. Shout out to the crew on Daily Wager and Bet. They do great work. You think about the way that most of us are consuming things like the Stanley Cup Final. You might not be a huge hockey fan, but you're suddenly watching the Stanley Cup Final different because half the people you know are betting on it. There was a concept when I was a kid, you know, going back to the UNLV days. You couldn't bet on UNLV games. You couldn't bet on anything that happened in Las Vegas because they were worried that there'd be a perception that things weren't being done on the up and up. Now? Man, the minute I get into Vegas, the MGM or the Caesars apps, either one, are all of a sudden hitting me up saying, bet here, bet here. You know, the, the number of times that you walk in. We live in a world where the Raiders have official partners as uh, casinos that you can go to your pre-parties for. That's such a change in mindset. And once that change happened, it changed everything for Vegas. Content being made in that city. Uh, sports moving to that city. A WNBA team, by the way, that is kicking ass this year. Let's go Aces. You look across the board, there is opportunity for athletes, and athletes can look around and say, hey, I can live here. I can get to L.A. quickly. I can do whatever I want to do in this city. I have the opportunity to live the life I'd love to live in Vegas for many people. If you're young and single and you want to live on the Strip, you can. And if you're older and you've got a family and you want to live half an hour off the Strip in the suburbs, you can those opportunities create willingness for athletes to want to move to a place that has no state income tax and earn their money there. That's a huge change for all sports. And in a world where we're running out of cities that can be simply used as leverage for new stadiums, I look at the growth of Las Vegas particularly and wonder what's next. We're not that far off from the inevitability we know of Super Bowls, World Series, NBA championships, all being fought for on the Las Vegas Strip.
And to think that we've gotten there in such a fast amount of time is a reminder that once that changed just a little, once gambling changed just a little in perception, it changed a lot across the board. I think it's great for Vegas. I think it's great for sports. And I think ultimately, if you're a baseball fan, the opportunity there may not be to have a huge home field advantage. We talk about that all the time, even with the Raiders. The opportunity there is that every time somebody comes into town, you want to grab some tickets, go see a baseball game, going to have that opportunity. That will keep people in seats, which will make it profitable business. I'm not sure Vegas will ever have the rip-roaring home field advantage that other cities have, but I also don't think it matters in the business of sport because in the business of sport, one place you're never going to struggle to sell is Las Vegas. Speaking of the Aces, the entire Aces team is going to be hanging with Q Myers and Teron Davenport in for Freddie and Fitzsimmons. Thanks for hanging out with me. This has been Spain and Fitz. I'm Jason Fitz, flying solo on ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.